When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Uh, find everything that I'm involved in over there, and then obviously check out everything at Destination Devi over on the Discord, patreon.com slash allgas to check it out. Uh, this is the last episode talking about roster construction. Uh, go back and listen to the first four. If you didn't, we covered all four positions in terms of a 12-team Superflex with 10 starters and PPR scoring. And obviously, I discussed some nuances and different scoring formats within those episodes. So check those out. Uh, and it'll tie into what I'm going to talk about today. And I've gotten this question a lot over the last month since I started this series. Uh, people coming to me saying, hey, you know, checked out the episodes uh, love the idea of talking about roster construction and definitely following what you're talking about. Uh, but how do I get there? And I get this question a lot. And a lot of times it's because you have a team that you've already been working on for a couple years. And it might be at a spot where you go, hey, I want to fix the roster construction. But, you know, it's week 13 of a season and I'm in the midst of the grind trying to win, trying to score points, but at the same time, trying to prep my team for the right roster construction going forward. And how do I do that? It's really easy to listen to these shows and say, hey, I'm going to join a new startup as soon as the fantasy playoffs are over, and I'm going to build a new team. And I'm going to do it this way. And I'm going to follow these rules, and I'm going to try to roster construct the right way from the get-go, or at least put myself on the right track. But how do I get there if I already have a team and I'm trying to change it here? You know, I've maybe I've been doing things completely differently and I want to try this, but I want to try to get my team to this spot. But I'm in the midst of trying to contend at the same time. Like I still have to worry about if I can win this year, but how do I make some moves to get there? It's easier if you're saying, hey, I'm not winning. I'm kind of blowing up my roster. I have time to wait. I have time to wait for the right deals to happen so that I can get in roster construction. Or even if you can't do it right away, you have some time because maybe you're tanking or maybe you're not going to win this year uh, and you haven't had a trade deadline yet where you can go out and make these moves and it really doesn't matter what the players do the rest of the season. You can essentially just go out and make dynasty trades and I don't have to think about anything else. I can let the offseason come. I can let the values settle back in where they are and then we'll pick back up then. So I'm going to talk about some tips and tricks, and I'll just do a quick recap 
uh, of the first four episodes, just so everybody kind of has an idea of what we're aiming for. So let's go back to the wide receivers. The first episode, we talked about the wide receiver threshold, and we talked about how to define the wide receiver threshold in your league, how to determine where that cutoff point is, and then where to go in terms of how many receivers I want to carry out of 28 roster spots. For me, the sweet spot is probably somewhere between seven at the minimum, nine at the max. So I called it eight. Eight was what I used as the example for this. And the idea is once you have these eight receivers in place and then the season ends, you get to the next season and you kind of have to forecast, okay, what do my eight receivers on my roster look like? If I have nine, if I have 10 already, what do they actually look like for the next year? Do they fit the criteria of being, let's just call it top 50 as the threshold here. Do they fit the criteria as like a top 50 dynasty receiver? Or do they fit the criteria of a guy where I can say, hey, that could be a top 50 or better producer next season? Obviously, you want to have guys on the higher end of that top 50. You don't want to shoot for five receivers on your roster that are wide receiver 40 through 50. You want to try to get them on a higher end. But we also understand the variance between receivers that are in this range. Week to week, it's all over the place. So really what I want to do is get guys that are going to be top 40 in the league in market share, top 40 in the league in terms of efficiency or something about their offense, efficient quarterbacks with moderate volume or not efficient quarterbacks, but massive volume, whatever it might be. But I want to try to get as many receivers within this range as possible. Then I have different principles that I want to play within those receivers. Can I stack with the quarterbacks that I can have? I don't really care if I have the wide receiver 35 or the wide receiver 40. Effectively, they are the same thing from week to week. So can I match guys up with potential stacks? That's another thing you can look at. So there's nuances that you have within that threshold that you have to identify each year. Each year brings a new season. You have to look at it and say, I'm hitting the reset button because we're going to have a lot of new receivers that come into the the league next year. We're going to have a lot of guys that are within the threshold this year, but then you look at something happens next year and they're not. Maybe the team drafts another guy. Maybe the team signs somebody. Maybe the offense changes. Maybe the quarterback changes. There's a lot that can happen where you can go, man, this receiver was great last year. He was definitely a threshold receiver. Next year, maybe he's not. Alan Lazard goes to a team and you go, uh... I don't know about him next year because he doesn't have this offense. He has a lot of other receivers on his roster. Maybe he's more like just a guy now. And so you have to look at that and you say, okay, there's going to be some that are going to fall out. There's going to be some that might jump in. There might be some that come in the rookie draft that you immediately say, hey, those are threshold receivers. So you have to identify that. But let's just shoot for eight. Let's say we get to the offseason. You're now looking at your roster going, okay, how many threshold receivers do I have? And this is a, a fluid thing when you look at your roster. It's not an exact science. You don't look at your wide receiver room and you say, this is a guarantee or this is not a guarantee. Guys jump into this range. Guys fall out of this range all the time. It is very volatile when you're talking about wide receivers outside of the top 30 or 40. It's extremely volatile. You're going to have a couple that jump in there out of nowhere. All of a sudden, it's a player that you would have never considered to be a threshold receiver. Boom. They get traded somewhere. Now they're in a great spot. Or maybe they sign somewhere in free agency and you go, wow, that was a difference-making contract. Like the team may use that guy like a number two receiver. So now I have to consider him a threshold receiver. Then you get guys that were there a year or two ago. They might still be there from a value perspective. But then you go, "Ah, I don't know. Like the NFL has kind of told us what we think about this guy. And maybe he's outside of the threshold. So that happens all the time. So you always have to be reevaluating this number. At all times, but definitely when you get to the offseason, you have to be looking at this number and saying, okay, 
my threshold of eight now is down to five or six, or my threshold of eight is now nine or 10. And now I'm looking at a rookie draft where maybe I can draft one or two more. So you have to think about that. You always want to be targeting this homeostasis number, which is right around the seven to nine that I talked about. So what's going to happen is you are going to have rosters where you go, I clearly need to get receivers, right? On those ones, I'm going to be less apt to just go fix it. I'm not going to go out and trade for threshold receivers, especially veterans, especially veterans that are on second contracts that are not guaranteed locked in like top 30 receivers. I'm not going to go trade uh, for guys like Michael Gallup next offseason because, well, he could be a threshold receiver. He might not be. That's a guy that they could easily bring somebody in via the draft. They could easily bring somebody in via free agency. And now he's right on that fringe of being top 50. So that's not the type I'm going to go and chase when we get to the offseason. Vice versa, if I have a team where, let's say I have too many, let's say I've hit on a couple guys that I didn't anticipate it, but then they sign somewhere in free agency, or I have four rookie picks and I already have seven threshold receivers, and I'm sitting here going, man, it's going to be pretty easy for me to fill this number just by using a couple draft picks on wide receivers. So boom, now you have an excess. That excess is where you build up your dynasty bank. You can use the words like asset chest or your bank account or whatever. We talk all the time about accumulating assets, liquidation, how to turn assets that are an abundance into the most flexible type of assets. Now, you can argue that sometimes wide receivers are the second most flexible asset, maybe quarterbacks, but wide receivers in a lot of leagues are valuable assets that other people want. The only thing really more flexible than, say, a wide receiver or a good quarterback is probably a draft pick. So the idea is you look at your rosters and you say, okay, if I'm within my threshold and maybe I have a couple extra receivers and I know that I have some first round picks that maybe I'm going to end up drafting a receiver or two, or maybe I have a trade where I can trade for another receiver for a second round pick. You know, the idea of I can buy like next year's version of Brandon Cooks and I can definitely get him for a second because of the season that he had in 2022, maybe I know I can get him for a second and then I can slide him into my last threshold receiver spot. And then I can trade another receiver that maybe I think is better than Brandon Cooks, probably younger than Brandon Cooks, but you know what? The market says I can get a first for him. So let's use an example of like Rashad Bateman, right? So I don't know if anyone's paying a first for Rashad Bateman, but you could conceivably go into the offseason and you say, okay, I have eight threshold receivers. One is Rashad Bateman. I can sell Rashad Bateman for a first, and then I can go get another receiver for a second. In that case, it's fine for you to go buy one because you've actually achieved the same roster construction, but you've essentially turned a second into a first, and you've done it in a range where really what you're selling is you're selling potential, hope, upside, age. You're really not impacting your roster construction at all. Sure, you're getting a little older. You're probably getting seven years older at wide receiver. You also know by acquiring that Brandon Cooks, you probably are going to have to recycle that roster spot the next season, most likely, in terms of your threshold receivers. But you're also betting that, hey, a guy like Rashad Bateman, if he's not a difference maker, he's essentially just another receiver that is on the bottom half of my threshold. I just don't have to probably replace him as fast. And the good news about that is those guys in that range are always replaceable. And in fact, they become the most overrated assets in Dynasty when somebody values the wide receiver three or the wide receiver four because they're young. 
And you sit there and you go, well, why wouldn't I just capitalize on the fact that these guys are young? They actually have somewhat of a robust market to where someone will actually trade me a piece of value for them versus let me just throw you, you know, the 30-year-old receiver that might have one or two more good seasons left in them. So you have to think about things that way with your threshold receivers. You're always trying to find ways to stay within your threshold, to stay within your construction, and to stay within the range where when you have guys that are not difference makers, and go back to that episode I talked about at the very beginning of Destination Dynasty, and I talked about kind of the warp or talked about the difference making thresholds for wide receivers. And it's really not the ones that are in that 13, 14, 15, 16 point per game range. Those guys are good. They're replaceable. So when you find a player and you go, yeah, this guy's probably valued in this range because he's 24 years old and not 28 years old. Yet really he's the exact same as the 28 year old. So can you make that pivot? And a lot of times it's not make the pivot of, let me trade you my Rashad Bateman for another wide receiver that's four years older, that's essentially the same thing. It's let me trade one away for a pick, one for one, and then let me trade for one for another pick, one for one. But the pick I'm trading away is a second. The pick I'm selling or the pick I'm getting back by selling the receiver is a first. And essentially, you've accomplished the same thing. You look at that as a net win for your roster construction. The only thing you're having to do is probably turn over that spot a year or two early, maybe three or four years early. But I can tell you, if you have a guy, let's say Jerry Judy is a great example. Jerry Judy is a threshold receiver for 2023. You can also say Jerry Judy will be like wide receiver 35. So really, the only reason he's wide receiver 35 versus wide receiver 55 is probably because he's 24 years old and not 28 years old. If he continues around the same pace that he is right now, by the time he's 27, 28, he's essentially just going to be another guy. So think about that and think about how you're constructing your team. Look at the names. Obviously, I want to have one or two alpha receivers. I want to have one or two others that are in that range of, you know, Chris Godwin, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddle. Like, I want to have a couple of those guys. I want to have some layers of the elite, very, very good, really good range. Then everything else can kind of just round itself out. And so your wide receivers, when we're talking about, let's say eight for this example, I'm always looking at that eight number as a way where I can maybe make a little extra money. It's like a second job. When do I have some extra time to make a little extra money? When I don't, I don't. I have to not worry about it. But when I do, when I find myself with a couple extra receivers, sure, let me get creative. Let me liquidate that and store that in my dynasty bank. So think about receivers that way. You're always turning them over. You're having to reassess them every year. But when you find yourself with an excess, that's when you go and liquidate and you store that value in case you have to make a big splash at one of the other positions. And we talked about the other positions. So let's go to tight end next. Tight end. We go into next season and we're sitting here going, okay, the tight end landscape next year is going to be Kelsey, Andrews. Pitts, Goddard, Hawkinson, Fryermuth, Njoku, where do you go from there? Like, where do you want to allocate your resources? I talked about on the tight end episode, depending on your tight end premium, where the ranges might be where you can flex these tight ends. If you're just in a 1.5 tight end premium, again, what did we talk about? The, The flex threshold is actually below the top 12. So really, the advantage isn't necessarily being able to flex a second tight end. But what it is, is if you're able to get your hands on, not necessarily the top two tight ends. I'm not saying go get Kelsey and Andrews in every league. If you do that, then you're golden. 
But if you end up with just Andrews and Fryermuth, okay, well, what you've done is you've now taken the market and you've captured probably two of the seven or eight tight ends that are actually good enough to not only be starters, but be flexes. And boom, you have two of the eight. So not only do you have a flex that you can comfortably use, but you have the best insurance that money can buy. You have a backup tight end that you can always throw in as a starter and really not take too big of a hit against the median average. But you also have a flex that you can play in your flex and also play keep away from the other teams. So now another team doesn't have one of the top eight tight ends to pull from. So if I have Fryermuth, but I also have Dallas Goddard, that is one less team that can essentially match me at tight end because I have two of them. So it's really a twofold argument. Not only do I have a good backup, but I've played keep away and I have a really good insurance policy against the other teams that might be able to match me on a weekly basis. Now, sometimes tight ends, they're tough to find. You know who they are. You know who these names are. The downside is most other people know who the names are too. Generally, if you told a lot of people out there that do rankings, tiers, whatever, you said name your top six, seven, eight tight ends, all the names are going to be the same. The prices relatively are going to be the same. And a lot of times those players are on specific rosters. And what I've found is they're on specific rosters for a reason. The person that has those tight ends probably values tight ends a little bit more, sometimes more than they should. But there becomes a point where it's like, okay, do I have the assets to go buy Dallas Goddard? Because that's probably going to be a target player that I have specifically for my roster construction. And what is it most likely going to take? Probably draft picks. Because here's the thing, one one tip that I do not like to do in leagues, I don't like to go and trade a receiver for a tight end, even if I'm getting the tight end advantage. That is not my preferred way to do it. I'm not saying I won't trade players for players. But when I'm looking at my roster construction, if I have it almost all set up the way that I want, and I go, damn, I need a tight end. You know where I want to pull to get that tight end? Draft picks. I don't want to sit here and go, well, let's get creative. Let's do a four for four trade where I swap a quarterback for one of your quarterbacks. I trade a receiver for one of your receivers. I trade a second. You give me back a third. No, I don't want to complicate it like that. A lot of times I already have my teams set up meticulously for roster construction. So I'm not interested in necessarily trading my wide receiver five for a tight end. I would much rather use a pick. And how do I have those picks in excess? I've liquidated at times where I can stay ahead of the curve and I have money saved up in the bank. I want to have money in the bank in the form of draft picks that I can use when I want to buy something that helps me get towards my roster construction. So that's something to think about at tight end. I don't want to trade one of my threshold receivers for a tight end because now I'm kind of just stuck in neutral. I mean, sure, I addressed the tight end position, but now I have a hole at wide receiver. So unless I traded an excess threshold receiver, I really didn't gain anything. I really now have another move that I have to go and make. So think about that. And that goes back to a key that it's not a tight end thing, but it's pertinent to talk about at this part of the episode. This goes throughout the offseason. This definitely goes throughout the dead period of the NFL season. So we're talking about from like the NFL playoffs until the start of the new league year, like the week before or the week during free agency, you have this dead period. You have a period where basically players' values are as elastic as they will ever be. It's the time period that is the closest to the most recent season. So there's definitely some recency bias. 
but it's also the time period that has the least amount of information to work from, from a dynasty perspective. We haven't had free agency. We haven't had the rookie draft. A lot of times we haven't even had like full coaching staffs that have been put together. But you will see people out there going, man, let me go trade a second round pick for this player. Now that might be a good deal, but why would you want to make that deal February 10th? It makes no sense. And this continues to a different degree throughout the offseason. It continues through March during free agency, that window between free agency and the NFL draft. You have a dead period, a period where values completely reset when free agency gets here, but then they go stagnant. And we know there's a massive change coming with the NFL draft, but values in Dynasty are fluid and there's constantly trades being done out on the open market. You can be the one to take advantage of it. Same with right before the draft, during the draft, after the draft, but before like training camp, before the preseason, you have another dead period where it's OTA hype, it's summer puff piece hype. You hear all of that stuff that happens. So there's these different windows where really, for me, 90% of the time from January until end of July, early August, guess what I'm not doing? Buying anything. I'm always the one that goes, okay, you really want to make this bet. I've identified that I have other people in my league that want to make this bet that, hey, this player is going to do X this upcoming season. I know what role this player has. I know this offense is going to be good. I know this player is going to have a great situation. So let me go out and buy him. And this is a time period from literally the end of the season until the start of the preseason where we really start to get like game action and real information. You have this window and it actually continues into the preseason right up until the season itself. You have these windows of time where 90% of the time I'm a seller. This is liquidation season. This is how can I turn this player into a second? How can I swap this player and a third for a second? How can I sell a player for a player plus a third? How can I sell a player for a player and a second? Can I tear down in a range where I think it's the same tier, but I pick up an extra first? You know, can I swap a quarterback for a quarterback and get back a second and a third? Like you're constantly looking at those types of moves. Those are what I call the leverage moves. Those are the leverage moves where you are getting the two for one. And that is the appropriate time to try to build up those type of assets where you're really looking at a bet and you go, man, that's like a 60, 40 bet. I'm taking the 40 side, but man, you're going to give me a second round pick just to find out. Boom. I'll bank that second round pick. And as long as I stay within my roster construction, who cares if I move wide receiver 30 for wide receiver 45, because someone in my league is just so convinced that this wide receiver 30 is going to be way better than that. Sure. I'll take back another threshold receiver. You throw me back a couple seconds. So you make enough of those moves at different levels. It doesn't have to be the seconds. It can be an extra first. Maybe you find a big move where you pivot off of a really expensive, really good running back for another running back and a first because your roster construction is already in line. You pivot off a quarterback. You go down and you get a first. Maybe you sell a threshold receiver for another receiver that might be a little bit lower in the threshold, but you get a second. Maybe you sell a couple running backs that people like. You're not even sure if they're going to be anything other than just backfilled bodies. You get a couple thirds during the offseason. Think about that move. We talk all the time about buying spot starts for thirds. Well, guess what? If I can buy spot starts for thirds, and I just want to throw this out there too, I've noticed over the last couple weeks, spot start running backs are not even being sold in leagues. 
There's leagues where I'm putting up Samaj P. Ryan for a third. Not a single freaking taker. Zonovan Knight for a third. Not a single freaking taker. I had a league where I put both of them on the block for a third. Didn't get a single offer. And that's fine. But that's just another point that I can look at and say, okay, people are willing to sell those types of players during the year. Now, may not be on the exact spots that you need them or in the exact leagues that you want them, but there are leagues out there where people are willing to sell those guys week to week. But you know what? You can't take advantage of it if you don't have those picks. And I'm not perfect. I'm in 57 Dynasty Leagues, and there are 5, 10, maybe 12 leagues or so where I don't have the extra picks. I wasn't aggressive enough in getting the picks, maybe because I had a deficient roster in terms of assets. But there were other times where I just didn't grind the moves as much as I wanted. So I get into the season and I go, yeah, you know, I don't really have the extra ammo to throw out and buy a spot start. And when you have that, though, when you have those extra picks built up in your bank, you can essentially play the season week to week. Oh, I lost a running back. Okay, let me go buy another one for a third. I lost a running back for a month. Let me go buy one for a second. I lost a starting quarterback. Let me go buy a filler starting quarterback for a late first, early second. You have the ammo to throw around. Now, do I want to use all my ammo on players and points during the season? No, but I want to get into the mindset where I'm taking advantage of the dynasty landscape year round, and I'm taking advantage of the other managers that will throw their picks around at other times because they're sure about what they think is going to happen in the upcoming season. So it's literally just embracing the variance and understanding that in February of 2023, I have no clue what is going to be winning and losing leagues or even what is going to be happening in 2023, the upcoming season. So really, everything should shift more towards banking assets and not worrying about losing any of that money in the offseason. So I know this wasn't necessarily a tight end thing. I kind of went off of a rant when I was recapping the tight ends, but it's perfect when you're talking tight ends because a lot of times tight ends are the position that you want to go out and address if you don't have one. And a lot of times you want to be the one that has picks and can bring picks to the table. So it's just a strategy across your league throughout the offseason. There's a big window and it's probably 70% of the dynasty year. You were in liquidation mode. You were in collect asset mode. You are in collect asset mode in the dead ranges of the positions. Go back and listen to the positional shows where I talk about kind of the dead ranges at receiver, the dead ranges at tight end, the dead ranges at quarterback, the dead ranges at running back. If you can find leverage deals within those ranges and pick up extra picks, I don't care if it's extra thirds, extra seconds. It drives me crazy when I hear dynasty podcasts out there talking about all thirds. I'm never going to get a good player at the third. Who the fuck cares? That's not the point. The point of trading for a third isn't so you can hit on the third rounder in the rookie draft in 2024. It's to have that pick to throw around when you might need a spot start running back, a backup quarterback start, something like that. That's the point of getting thirds. It's really not to make those picks in every circumstance. So you don't look at that trade when someone says, oh, should I trade this player for a third? You know what? If it's week eight of the season and you need to start that player, if it's this week Zonovan Knight, no, I'm not trading him for a third if I have him in my lineup. If it's February of 2023 and someone asks, should I trade Zonovan Knight for a third? 
Guess what? It's probably a yes. And it's not to do anything with the name, the player, the situation, Zonovan Knight. It's to do with the fact that it's the offseason. There's a lot that can happen. There's a lot of time between then and the next time he'll take the field. Bank the pick. And I think that is what's missing from a lot of roster construction discussions. It's about how to leverage the assets, how to accumulate assets without literally selling off your team. And this is something that I talk about on our Dynasty Trades in 5 roster reviews all the time, is people build great teams, but then you sit there and you go, okay, this team is 90% of the way there from a roster construction standpoint. I don't want to start trading away players because I think this player is good or bad, or because I think this player is better. I don't want to start adding a first to a player to go get a better player. No, I'll do that. That's the cherry on top once I have my team built. But 95% of the time, I am in liquidation mode. I am in what can I accumulate by staying within roster construction and giving myself a live shot every season to be a playoff team. So that should be the goal. And I know this was a tight end thing, uh, but really tight ends are the most pertinent spot, probably other than quarterback that you're going to go, I'm going to make a big move, right? If I want to go make a big move for Mark Andrews, or I'm going to go make a big move for a quarterback, oftentimes, what does it take? It probably takes draft capital going back the other way. Now, maybe somebody wants a receiver, maybe somebody wants a running back, but a lot of times it's, you need to have the extra draft capital. You can't just have your prerequisite set of your first round picks, your second round picks, your third round picks, and go, hey, let me go make a move for a quarterback. If you're doing that, you're actually taking a lot of risk, You're building a lot of fragility into your team at that point. And I don't ever want to be there. Sometimes you got to do that, but for the most part, that's not going to be my plan going into the season. So for tight ends, for quarterbacks, talk about quarterbacks next. I talked about the quarterbacks going into the offseason and how this quarterback carousel is going to be crazy. We're starting to see it. We're starting to see some early startup data coming out now where it really is the haves and the have-nots. I mean, there are like 12 quarterbacks you probably feel good about in Dynasty, and you know who the names are. I mean, you can literally name the top 12 off, then you go, okay, what's after that? Trey Lance? Kenny Pickett? Kirk Cousins? Then you're even down to it's like, okay, well, I almost have to put like Russell Wilson in there because you know what? He's going to be the starter next year. He's going to be where he is right now. I don't know what around him is going to look like, but he's going to be there. So you really get down into that range and you're like, geez, that's rough. So I think we're going to see this rise of quarterback values, and guess what? I've talked about it for a couple years now, but you're starting to see it more and more, especially when you get into the offseason. Good luck trying to get two elite quarterbacks in a startup draft. Good luck. Good luck being able to trade up and start that team with Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. You can try, but I think that's going to be way harder to do than it's been in the past couple years because people realize, man, if I want a good quarterback and I trade away my 106 and I don't have another pick until the mid-second, maybe I have a couple extra early round picks, like an extra second, an extra fourth, an extra fifth, whatever. But I'm still going to be fishing in that ugly quarterback range. And you know what? I just don't want to build my team that way. So I'm going to be much less likely to trade away my first round startup pick for that exact reason. So I think it's going to be harder and harder to acquire these quarterbacks in like a startup draft, right? So how else are you going to do it? I think the strategy is going to be, okay, I might be able to trade for a guy like Justin Herbert. Maybe he continues, comes off of kind of a poor season, and people are a little more willing to trade him this offseason than they might have been in the past. And someone comes to you and says, okay, I'm willing to trade Herbert. I'm putting him on the block. I'm looking for a package. Now, they may say they want a wide receiver. Okay, 
if you're trying to acquire a guy like Herbert, who's one of the elite assets, you probably have to include maybe a threshold receiver. Okay, I can stomach that. Maybe you have to include a quarterback. Okay, I'll go ahead and throw you Derek Carr. Now, I wouldn't like to throw Derek Carr in there if I can avoid it, but maybe it's a guy lesser than Derek Carr. I need to get a quarterback back, so let me use Jared Goff. Okay, Jared Goff, a threshold receiver. Now, what else are you looking for? Well, I really need to get some draft capital. Okay, I'm the guy that has three future firsts laying around. Now, how did I get those future firsts? There's a lot of creative ways, like I just talked about for the last 15 minutes. But you know what? I want to be the team in a lot of my leagues that has that draft capital. I got a couple extra firsts laying around. I have a couple extra seconds. Now, do I want to spend it all on one player like Herbert? Maybe, maybe not. But you get the picture. You want to be the team that can make an offer on one of those players, not just make an offer for the value, but to be able to make an offer when they become available. There are teams where even if I have Pat Mahomes and Joe Burrow, if Justin Herbert becomes available, I'm making an offer. I want to at least be the team that goes, okay, I have the assets. I have the diversified assets and I have the money in the bank to put an offer out there. And sometimes the best offer, or at least the one that the person is really considering, is the one that can offer them a a diverse number of assets. That includes a receiver, that includes another quarterback, that includes a couple draft picks. That's the team they want to deal with. So I at least want to be in the mix and as many of those conversations as I can be. And a lot of times, if you're just holding on to a bunch of players because you know what's going to happen, you're not going to be the one in the mix. And then you know what, if it doesn't work out, here's the other thing. You still have those assets to use during the season. So I really want to have my assets in the bank to use on big trades that get me more towards my desired roster construction. So maybe it's an elite quarterback, maybe it's an elite tight end, or have them during the season where I go, you know what, I can let my roster construction get a little more loose, but man, I'm buying points. I'm buying spot starts. I'm trying to win the championship during the year because I can throw around assets when I have holes. I get a leak in my boat, boom, I get a couple running back injuries, I can go buy a couple spot starts. And I'm not sweating about, man, I don't have any thirds. I need to go trade my 2024 third, and that's my only third, boom. You don't want to get to that point. You want to always have some extra money in the bank to spend when there's an emergency. So think about that, and I think this offseason, it's going to be very true with quarterbacks where it's constantly going to be a rat race to get elite quarterbacks. So really, you have to be able to pounce in the couple spots that may become available in your leagues be able to bring the right kind of assets to the table. And if you're just stuck on a lot of players and you don't liquidate properly, you may not be the one that can even put an offer that the person is going to consider. So with all that said, I'll take a quick break. I'll be back in 30 seconds and we'll finish the last part of the roster construction series. Welcome back. Part two of the last roster construction series. Uh, Just kind of went through and did a recap of where I was in the first four episodes. Talked a little bit about liquidation uh, and how the time calendar matters. You get to the off season, you're looking to start getting into liquidation season with the idea being trying to build up assets in your bank, extra draft picks. If you have excess at wide receiver, liquidating those for draft picks. That way you have a shot 
if there's an elite quarterback that comes available, if there's an elite tight end that becomes available, you have the ammo to at least make a run at it. And if not, you have the extra ammo to use next season. Because in January, compared to October, there's so much that can happen. I would much rather fade the players in the offseason and go for the liquidity of the draft picks. And it also can work when you get towards rookie draft time. Like, you want to be the one that has rookie draft picks during rookie draft season. It's pretty simple. Like, even if you have to buy them in January, you want to be the one that has them when people want them the most. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. If you were holding a lot of 2022 picks, you probably didn't have much of a market for them. And that's fair. That's going to happen. Now, whether those players are good or not, that's another story. But the idea is you want to have them at the time when the demand for the picks is the highest. And generally, that's going to be somewhere between like April and May, right around rookie draft time. That's going to be when most people are chasing the draft picks. When you have a chance to say, oh, I have a couple extra draft picks. Let me reform my roster construction with something that I feel comfortable with. And you can go ahead and take the rookies. So that happens. You want to have picks for that reason. Then obviously you want to have them during the offseason. So let's just talk running backs because this is where I think a lot of people really start to miss the boat with the running backs. I talked about on the running back show how that is the position where you are going to carry half your roster spots are going to be dedicated to running backs. And this is a mistake that I've made in the past a little bit, uh, but I'm definitely not going to make it this offseason. And it is thinking that I know exactly how the running back landscape is going to play out. It's thinking that I have a pretty good pulse on who's good and who's not. And newsflash, we really don't. There have been a dozen situations of running backs where I would have told you, oh, that guy's dead. There's no way that guy gets back to where he's fantasy relevant at running back. He can't even get a job. He's been out of the league. All of a sudden, he gets signed. He's a running back. He's back in the league. He's an injury away from literally being potentially startable. That doesn't happen at other positions. Rarely does a quarterback go from out of the league, released four times, off a taxi squad, to even being relevant. They might be picked up, but in terms of being relevant or being something that you can trade something for, extremely low. We talk about the wide receiver threshold. Obviously, you have wide receivers that come in and out all the time. You got guys that win jobs, fifth receivers on teams, fourth receivers on teams. Again, a receiver going from literally nothing to a threshold wide receiver is pretty low. But running backs. So running backs are the toughest thing. And I think this is very important for those of you, especially those of you that are not contending this year. Teams that are out of the playoffs, looking at your roster construction. Is there one thing you can fix before the end of this season? It's your running backs. It's, do I have roster clogger receivers? Cut them. Do I have backup quarterbacks that I'm stashing for whatever reason, but I still have them, even if I'm not contending? Am I sitting on a Bryce Perkins, a John Walford, a Colt McCoy, a Cooper Rush, somebody like that? If you can't trade them, those are definitely not guys you want to go into the offseason with. Go make a list. If you want to know the backup quarterbacks to stash, some of them that I would keep, I'm right on. Some of them that I would keep, I'm wrong on. I caught a lot of Taylor Heineke's. I bought the narrative that Taylor Heineke would be behind Sam Howe, right? I never envisioned a world where Taylor Heineke was literally leading Washington to the playoffs with a shot to be a starter in the NFL after 2022. But here we are. So I definitely cut some Taylor Heineke's. There's other guys that I held on to. So sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. But the idea is you really don't want to carry probably more than like 40, 45 quarterbacks max in Dynasty. 
And part of that 45 is guys that have already proven as starters in the past, right? So your Teddy Bridgewaters, your Tyrod Taylors, your Mitchell Trubisky's, like those guys are probably going to be ones you just don't cut because you know they're in line to have a really, really high leverage backup job. If not, get a shot to start. Then you have the few others, your Malik Willis's, your Jordan Loves, your Sam Howes. You're probably not going to cut those guys because they still have a little bit of an upside. But that's it. Everybody else gone. Literally, one exercise I would implore any dynasty player to do, go through and literally map out the quarterbacks next year where they can be an answer to one of these two questions with a yes. One, does this guy have a chance to start next year? And sometimes that has nothing to do with talent. It can just be, hey, he's a free agent. Hey, someone might like him. Someone might sign him. I want to have that guy on my roster going into NFL free agency. So I don't even care if you think he's bad. But somebody that you know is going to be a free agent could just land ass backwards into a temporary starting job. A job like Mitch Trubisky, where you're not sure if he's good enough to start, but he lands in a spot where he starts. He lands in a spot where he's named the starter. Boom, you could have got a third rounder for him. That's all it takes. So that's the first answer. The second answer being, does this guy have any upside? Is he Jordan Love? I know he might not start next year. Does he have a little upside? Does it, is it Sam Howe? You know, is it Skylar Thompson? I kind of like Skylar Thompson a little bit. There's a shot that he's the backup in Miami. That might be a guy I actually want. He's one of the backups because I can say, okay, if he ever got in there, it's a system where, you know what, I probably want the starting quarterback. So that might be one of the few backup quarterbacks I make an exception for. Gardner Minshew. He's on every roster in a league that I look at. When I look at all my leagues, he's on a roster in every single one of them. And that's somebody this year that really has no chance to start unless there's an injury. But there's a lot of people that hold them. But make your list. And if they're not on your list, cut them. There is absolutely no reason to carry Jarrett Stidham into the offseason. And I have Jarrett Stidham on a lot of leagues. I believed in Jarrett Stidham as a pretty decent backup in what I thought would be a decent offense. If Carr were to get hurt, I wouldn't mind Jarrett Stidham in a Rainers offense. Nick Mullins, same thing. You know, seeing what O'Connell's doing with Kirk Cousins, Nick Mullins could be the perfect guy that steps in for three or four games and is good. But really make your list. And you know what? If they're not on your list, you get rid of them. So backup quarterbacks, gone. Roster clogger receivers, gone. Literally cut them. Tight ends outside of the roster construction that I talked about. So if it's a 1.5 premium or a PPR league, no more than three tight ends. These are tough decisions. If you're currently rostering five tight ends and you go, man, I, I never really anticipated that Cade Otten would be that good. So I picked him up in a PPR league and he's my fourth tight end. I also have Irv Smith. He's on my IR. So all of a sudden I have five tight ends. How do I get out of that mess? Because I'm not within roster construction. And I'll look at it and I go, well, here's the thing. Can you trade either one of them for something? Now, you know what? You probably want to trade Irv Smith because you go, yeah, he sucks. And I'm going to have to activate him off IR in March. And he sucks. I don't want him anymore. And I know I'm going to have to activate him, but I can't get anything for him. I've tried. I've spammed him in my league. I'm trying to get a third. I can't get a third for him. What do I do? He's going to be my fifth tight end. That puts me out of roster construction. Okay, here's what you do. You trade Kate Otten. You trade the one that you can get something for. And you just ride with Irv Smith. So you have one of two choices. It's cut Irv Smith. Bite the bullet, cut him. Or you say, okay, I'm fine with Irv Smith as my third tight end. I'm going to trade Kate Otten because you know what? I can actually get something for him. And I think people miss that. 
They get way too worried about the player. They get way too worried about, oh, if I miss this player versus that player, when really, if you're deciding between Irv Smith and Kate Otten as your third tight end in a PPR league, good luck. The odds that either of them really have an impact at all is so minimal, it's actually not worth even making that decision. It's not worth spending 10 minutes on that decision. The much better decision is, okay, I'll trade Kate Otten for a third. Boom. Someone offers me something within an hour. Done. I've accomplished my rule. Now, doesn't mean I want to do that in every single time where I have a tiebreaker and I want to pick the shittier player, but you get the picture. You The, the benefit to you there isn't the third for Kate Otten. That's neutral. That's a neutral trade at best. The benefit is you stayed within your roster construction. You freed up a roster spot for something else. You banked a draft pick that you can use on something else. And in a lot of leagues where the rosters expand in the offseason, but you have to cut down sometimes before it, I have now a free roster spot where guess what I can add? A running back. I'll go pick up Marlon Mack. Do I think Marlon Mack's any good? No. But I'd rather roster Marlon Mack going into the offseason than I would my fifth tight end in a PPR league. So think about that. And it doesn't mean that Marlon Mack is worth more than Cade Otten. But the transaction of getting the third for the excess player that you're out of roster construction with and picking up the running back, that's the move. That's the strategy. And it's just a bonus that you're getting a pick that you can net into your bank and use it later. And that was the biggest mistake that I made for a couple years was I actually looked at the running back landscape on like Christmas Day. So heading into the last week of the fantasy season. And I go, man, there there are not enough running backs around for me to want to pick up. And it's especially tough when you get to the end of the regular season. Because what happens is in a lot of leagues, you'll notice, let's say it's 30-man rosters, but you also have an injured reserve. Well, a lot of times you have teams that'll have like seven players on their injured reserve, and they've picked up players to replace those roster spots. So really everybody is holding like 35 to 40 players in a 30-man roster league. And what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to cut down eventually, right? They're going to have to cut down to a point where it's like, okay, I need to activate my seven players off IR, but dude, you got to be down to 33 before the rookie draft. So you were at 30, you had seven on IR, you have to activate seven off IR, but you have to also make four cuts at the same time. And then you have to get back down to 30 before the season starts, but maybe it expands three spots. I usually expand my rosters in the leagues I commish to the number of rookie draft rounds. So if we have a three-round rookie draft and it's 30-man rosters, I'll expand it to 33 temporarily. But you still have to be within that 33. So here's what I want. One of two things. I want to fill all my extra roster spots after I've gotten rid of roster clogger receivers, backup quarterbacks that I know I don't want to carry into the offseason, and then tight ends that take me outside of the threshold. And keep in mind, go back and listen to the tight end episode when you're in 1.75 or 2 PPR, the tight end threshold is a little bit different. You have some guys that can be flexes. You have a little bit more liberal usage of tight ends in those leagues where you don't have to worry as much about maybe carrying one or two extras because they can be flexed in a lot of circumstances. But after that, though, if you're just talking about a normal league, 1.5 or less, Every roster spot I want to free outside of my threshold receivers, outside of my core quarterbacks and my core tight ends, everything else I want to carry running backs into the offseason. Now, you're not always going to be perfect. You're going to be able to tell yourself, well, you know, I'm a little bit over on threshold receivers. Maybe I'm going to carry that fourth tight end. Maybe I'll make the exception on a couple backup quarterbacks because I think they could be good. Okay, that's fine. It doesn't have to be perfect. But you want to be thinking about this when you're making your final cuts. And then add any running back with a pulse. 
you're picking up running backs that maybe they were on a practice squad this year. Maybe they got called up a couple times. Then maybe they kind of faded away. So you're adding the guys like Malik Davis. You know, you're adding those types to the back of your roster and you go, you know what? I don't even care about the talent. I'm basically giving myself as many shots potentially to have a running back that lands on a 53-man roster. And that's the proper roster construction principles. Now, the one thing that happens in the offseason is the running backs are the easiest position to turn over to. You may lock your roster. A lot of teams are locked after the fantasy playoffs, and then they don't unlock until rookie draft time or sometime in like NFL free agency. Maybe there's a waiver run. So you got to know your league rules too. A lot of our leagues that I'm in, the waivers run every single week of the year. So it's not as pertinent in those leagues for me where I go, hey, there's going to be a waiver run in like January. January 15th, there'll be a random waiver run even when the NFL season is over. First week of the NFL playoffs, I can pick up guys off waivers. And every once in a while, you see players sitting out there and you go, yeah, you know what? This guy might be a useful running back next year. And boom, free spot. So if you have those, you can be a little less stringent on Dean to have all this stuff done by the end of the fantasy season. But if you're one of these leagues where it locks after week 17 and nothing opens up until like May, you probably don't want to be outside of roster construction as much as you can control because now you're stuck. Everything's locked for four or five months. So that's the other thing is in that period where things are locked, a lot of running backs turn over. Guys get signed. You'll see random running backs sign in like February. You're like, oh, that's interesting. This team brought in that running back. They're going to definitely get a shot to win a job at a camp. Boom. All of a sudden they go from free agent in your league. Let me add them. There's other guys where you thought, oh, that guy could be the backup next year. Nope, the team cuts him before we even get to free agency. The team will cut a guy because they go, well, you know what? We can probably replace a running back in the draft, and why would we pay this guy $3 million next year? You see that a lot. You see running backs that have kind of pedestrian contracts, but a team goes like, I don't really want to pay him anything, so we're just going to cut him. That happens all the time too. So you see stuff like that, so you know there's going to be a lot of turnover. I mean, I talked about it on America's Game with Eric a couple weeks ago that there was a period in the offseason where I was rostering over 120 different running backs. Think about that. 120 different running backs. That's an average of almost four per NFL team. Now, you'd sit here and you go, yeah, most teams really only dress three running backs at best on an active game day. Some teams dress four. Some teams really only dress two. And then maybe they have like a hybrid or a guy that just plays special teams. But really, 120 plus doesn't compute you know for sure they're not going to be 120 plus running backs during the NFL season that are valuable, that are active. And that's because you start to trim those numbers down when you get into the season. You know what guys have roles. You know what guys didn't win jobs and then got cut and then had to sign with a practice squad somewhere. You keep your eyes on those guys, but you don't necessarily have to roster them in week four of the season when there's other players that are more relevant to pick up. So there's a lot of turnover, but you really want to be using this portion of your team with the half the roster spots dedicated to running backs to play the turnover game. Especially if you're in one of these leagues that has waivers all the time, that has a lot of free pickups. If you're not playing it this way, you're literally leaving money on the table. You're just playing lazy. And I'm not calling necessarily people lazy, but this is what you want to try to do if you can manage it. I'm not perfect either. But a lot of times, this is my biggest strength. It's going through and, and knowing what I want. That's the other thing. The biggest takeaway from this whole series is when you have a plan in mind, two things happen. One, it becomes surgical. You know what you're looking for. You already have the framework of what you're striving for. So you know a lot of times if 
there's a move to be made, you kind of already know what you're looking for. You know if that person that's putting this player on the trade block, you know you're not going to be interested, probably because it's not going to fit the roster construction you already have in mind. That's the first thing. Second thing is it actually allows you to manage more volume at one time because you don't get stressed over the individual nuances of the league. You go, okay, I have 25 teams, but I already have an idea of what I want my construction to be, and I'm already building them all towards that. So it actually makes it pretty easy to run all 25 throughout the year. Once you've put in the work behind the scenes to kind of grind and get them to this spot, they're easy to manage. It's just setting lineups. It's constantly looking at the market values going up and down. Where can I make trades? You know, where can I maybe sell this player? That's what I do. Once I have the portfolio in place, I'll go, okay, there'll be periods during the summer where I'll go, there's not much to do, but here's a player that I know is getting some buzz or getting a little bit of hype. And I'll go through and I go, okay, I have this player in six leagues. Where can I liquidate? You know, what types of deals would I look to do leverage trades with that player? Can I trade this receiver for a second and another receiver? And it's as simple as that. And maybe I'll do some future work in terms of like portfolio management and the percentages that I try to aim for. But ultimately, when you have them set up this way, it's really easy to kind of look at all your teams as a portfolio. And you go, I don't necessarily care about the players that are in these ranges. And you start to find out that, you know, 85, 90% of the players in Dynasty, you really don't care about. You want to have enough just to fit your roster construction. But, you know, which wide receivers I have between wide receiver 15 and 40, who cares? I probably want to have a mix. I want to have a mix of them that are stacked in the right spots, but I really don't care. I don't want to be overweight on too many of them, but I don't want to have zero exposure to any of them either. So it becomes really a systematic approach once you get to this point. Uh, And it's actually fun to run it that way because it truly becomes like a stock portfolio that you can treat it just like as such. So hopefully this helps. I know this was a lot. There's a lot of strategies that go into your roster construction more so than just the roster construction, right? You have to have some of these rules in place, the liquidation being the biggest thing. You have to have strategies to do that. Otherwise, a lot of times roster construction stuff doesn't make sense because you haven't been able to take advantage of it. You know, part of what you're getting by having a roster construction like this is you're already gaining just a little bit of an edge on everybody else. But it's not because this is the dominant way in every single league to win with your roster construction. Because what else does it take? Even if you have the right roster construction, what else does it take? A lot of times it takes the right combination of players. And trying to predict the right combination of players a season before it actually happens is really hard. But if you have the baseline with the right construction, but then you've also taken advantage of that intrinsic value by building up draft capital and building up flexibility then you can patch the holes. You're going to have some teams where you go, wow, this is just executing perfectly. And this is a great team and the roster construction's good and I haven't had a lot of injuries and the right players are hitting, the right stacks are hitting. Awesome. You're going to have another team where you go, man, everything was right with the roster construction. I made some good bets, made some good deals. My construction was perfect, but guess what? Half my players suck. Those are the teams you want to have the assets to move around, to make some swaps. You pay some taxes during the season to get yourself out of messes. That happens a lot. But if you don't have the extra pieces and you don't already have the right framework of the team, it's going to be a lot harder to get there. So hopefully this series has helped. Uh, Shoot me comments. Shoot me thoughts on this entire thing. I mean, this is the biggest passion for me in the Dynasty space is not just executing this in my own portfolio, but also teaching others. 
helping others. I'm not here to tell you what players to draft. I'm not here necessarily to tell you what trades to take. We talk trade values a lot. We talk players a lot. But you know what? I'm as novice on that as anybody else. So you might come to me and go, should I do this trade? Sure. Okay. I mean, people will attest that DM me all the time. And they'll ask me, player A or player B, should I make this deal? And a lot of times I'll say, it's a coin flip. Maybe. 60-40 looks like a decent trade. Like sometimes I don't give clear answers on that. And you know what? That's because it's not the main focus. That's not where the edge is. The edge is is having a plan and being able to execute it uh, with stuff like this series. So hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Uh, Reach out to me if you have any feedback. Uh, We'll talk about the uh, next upcoming series. Probably will be sometime in the offseason. I'll kind of readdress some of this stuff and see what what has changed from now until we get to NFL free agency and whatnot. Uh, as always, join the Patreon. Uh, mine at Dynasty and Chill is patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. Destination Devi is patreon.com slash allgas. Check out the newsletter at allgas.beehive, B-E-E-H-I-I-V, uh, slash subscribe. Check that out to get content every single week from everybody at the Destination Devi crew. Uh, and with that, I'll be back next week with a, another episode. Be chill, everybody. Ain't like